0: I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 16. Our text today is going to be verses 16 through 24 in a message entitled Grief and Joy as we come to a close of our series, Processing Grief by the Goodness of God. Pastor John Leros wrote this. He said, do you hear the crying? If we could listen, especially with our imagination, we would hear the weeping from all parts of the world. Can you hear the crying all around us in hospitals, nursing homes, prisons, and funeral homes? Can you hear the crying that's going on in personal lives everywhere? Many times we don't hear it because it's silent. Many times we try to hide our weeping and crying from other people because we've been led to believe that it's not proper to show emotion. Yet all of us from time to time have to cry a little bit or a whole lot as the case may be. Tears are God-given means to enable us to express feelings that might otherwise damage us or adversely affect our health if we did not express those feelings. And then he says, why do people weep? Who do you weep for? For many reasons, sadness, the loss of loved ones, fear, frustration, or perhaps just because of the seeming futility of life. Jesus Christ is the answer to our tears in this life, and Jesus Christ is our hope for the next life. In processing grief by the goodness of God, we have pursued some stated goals. I've shared with you so far four of those goals, and today I want to add a fifth and final one. Goal number one is to help us understand what grief is. Goal number two is to help us understand how God ministers to us in our grief. Goal number three is to help us effectively process grief. And goal number four is to help us be a blessing to others in their grief. Now goal number five is to help us find joy in the darkness of grief. We have defined grief as an intense state of sadness that is typically associated ...with the loss of a significant person or aspect in your life. Grief may arise from a variety of circumstances and experiences. We experience grief because we live in a sin-fallen world... ...and we experience grief from the heartache and the pain that comes our way. We last considered biblical hope. Biblical hope means that we are trusting in and waiting for and desiring... ...and expecting something beneficial to come in the future. Biblical hope is especially associated with patient endurance in times of difficulty. Someone said that biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, but it expects something good to happen in the future. We can grieve with hope because Jesus died and rose again. We can grieve with hope in the promise that if we are in Christ, we will always be with the Lord. And we can grieve with hope as we encourage one another. Knowing who God is and what God has done and what he has promised to us should fill us with a biblical hope. Now I've got good news for you today. For followers of Jesus, all grief has an expiration date. Let me just say that again for emphasis. For followers of Jesus, all grief has an expiration date meaning that no matter how dark or heavy the days may seem, God's word teaches that all grief will come to an end. And when that grief comes to an end, it will be replaced with eternal peace. And God turns our grief into joy when we look to him in faith. The phrase, this too shall pass, is without a doubt true. Let's begin reading here in John chapter 16 and verse 16. Jesus says, a little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me? Again, a little while and you will see me because I'm going to the Father? They said, what is this he is saying? A little while. We, we don't know what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, But your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Verse 23. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. We find Jesus here spending his last evening before he went to the cross, and what he thought was important was to comfort and to prepare his disciples. He once again reminded his disciples that he was going to have to suffer and die for the sins of the world. The days would be particularly dark and frightening for them. And Jesus knew something that is very important. He knew that it is easier to endure a time of grief if there is an end in sight. So what he did was he spoke about something that was coming in the future. Here he is just a few hours from the cross. The disciples, they're about to enter a time of suffering and Jesus was preparing them for the overwhelming sorrow that they would experience as they would watch him be arrested, mocked, beaten, and crucified. And he told them they would weep and mourn while there would be other people that would be rejoicing and celebrating over his death however the celebration would not last for long for the world I want to share with you in these few moments that we have together three realities that connect grief with joy and this is important because if we if we miss the connector then we miss the blessing of the joy that we can receive reality number one We all experience grief in this life. He says in verse 16, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. So you can think about these uh, references to a little while sort of like bookends to his discussion. And I think it's fairly straightforward that the first little while refers to the death of Jesus. The second little while refers to his resurrection. That within the next 24 hours, Jesus would be taken from his disciples, but three days later, after the resurrection, they would see him again. And he reiterates in verse 20, Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful. Jesus was preparing to accomplish the work that the Father had sent him from heaven to earth to do. And after he accomplished that work, he would return back to the Father. He would present himself to the Father on behalf of his people. He would live to make intercession for us. He would be our advocate when we need it at the throne of God. He would take his place at the right hand of God. He would eventually receive the kingdom to himself and then return. Now, we know something intellectually that is a little bit more difficult at times to truly take to heart. We know, at least in our minds, that Jesus has taken away the sting of sin and the sting of death, and he's won the victory over it. We, we know that. But to know it and apply it to our lives in a time of loss are not necessarily one in the same. In the near term, the fact of death and loss in this life and the emotional pain that accompanies it has not yet been taken away. And we could give by word of testimony uh, an understanding that grief comes from a variety of directions in our lives. It can come from confusion when we don't understand what is happening. The disciples didn't comprehend immediately what Jesus was saying. Grief can come from disappointments when things don't go as we had hoped or we had longed for. Here the disciples are grieving in part because they thought that Jesus was going to establish this immediate messianic kingdom. And it was going to have political implications in real time. And Jesus was coming to establish something that was eternal, not something that was temporal. And they were a little bit disappointed about what they were going through. Grief can come from watching enemies of God seemingly triumph. And Jesus told the disciples, listen, the enemies, they're going to rejoice while you're weeping. But I want you to know today that there is nothing ungodly about grieving when you experience it in this life. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says that Jesus is a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. Perhaps you've heard the name Nancy Guthrie. She is a Bible teacher, has written extensively and spoken, uh, particularly among women's ministries, and uh, has done a lot of work for the faith. And she wrote a piece entitled Holding On to Hope, Drawn by Suffering into the Heart of God. And in it, she shares her experience of when she and her husband lost their six month old daughter, Hope, when she died. And I want to read in part what Nancy Guthrie wrote. Not long after my six-month-old daughter, Hope, died, I was at a cosmetics counter buying some mascara. I asked the question, will this mascara run down my face when I cry? The girl behind the counter assured me it wouldn't and then asked with a laugh in her voice, are you going to be crying? Yes, I answered, I am. We had Hope. For 199 days, we loved her, we enjoyed her richly, we shared her with everyone that we could, we held her during her seizures, and then we let her go. The day after we buried Hope, my husband said to me, you know, I think we expected our faith to make this hurt less, but it doesn't. Our faith gave us an incredible amount of strength and encouragement while we had Hope." And we are comforted by the knowledge that she is in heaven. Nancy Guthrie said, our faith keeps us from being swallowed by despair, but I don't think it makes our loss hurt any less. And then she said, it's only natural for people around me to ask questions, especially early on, they asked the question, how are you? And she said, for much of the first year after my daughter's death, my answer was, I'm deeply and profoundly sad. I've been blessed with many people who have been willing to share my sorrow just to be sad with me. Others, however, seem to want to rush me through my sadness. They want to fix me. But here I am. I've lost someone I dearly loved and I'm sad. And then she says this. Ours is not a culture that is comfortable with sadness. Sadness is awkward. It's unsettling. It ebbs and flows and takes on its own shape. It beckons to be shared. It comes out in tears, and we don't quite know what to do with those tears. Friends, there is nothing unspiritual about feeling grief in a time of loss. I would say to you that, in fact, it is deeply spiritual to do so. And the reason that I say that is because that is how God has created us to feel. That's how God has made us in order to process our pain. If, if God did not give us the ability to process our pain in, in, a, in a healthy way, then perhaps we would break under it and we would suffer all of the ill effects of it. But yet that's how God has made us so that we can work through it in a sin-fallen world. You say, well, how can we face grief when we experience it if it's inevitable? Well, as we've talked about as we've gone through this short series we need to understand that there is not a consistent pattern for facing grief. It will vary depending on the situation and the person who is processing it. Facing it is necessary to come with, to terms with our loss and to be able to move forward. So don't rush the process. Confront denial head on. Allow yourself time and space to be able to deal with the circumstance. And allow yourself to experience the pain of grief. Sometimes people want to bottle those emotions up. But the only way to get through it is to get through it and to take it one step at a time. And as you do that, God will give you the grace to begin to adjust to your new circumstances. And really, you invest the experience that you have by recognizing and honoring the loss. Take it slow, particularly about major decisions in life. And take it day by day as you look to find a new path forward. Now I want to remind you, as I've said several times as we've gone through this, your experience will always be with you. Someone described grief like an old injury that aches when it rains. That idea is scary to us in the early days of grief. But many people find in time that they really wouldn't have it any other way. Grief is an expression of love. In the loss of a loved one, grief is the way that we love the person that we have lost. In spite of their physical absence. It connects us with memories from the past. And it bonds us together with others who have experienced similar things. You say, what about closure? Closure is an elusive myth. What about getting over it? Getting over it is an elusive myth. Getting through it and being stronger for it is what God can do for you if you trust in him. He will help you to get through it And when you get through it, you can be stronger for it. And when you're stronger for it, then you can also be a blessing to someone else if you'll trust in the Lord. Because we're all going to experience grief in this life. Reality number two. Jesus promises to turn our grief into joy. Look at the second part of verse 20. Jesus says directly, you will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. He knew that the disciples would be sorrowful over the loss of a relationship, sorrowful at the humiliation of their Lord, sorrowful at the apparent victory of the enemy in the moment, sorrowful because all hope had been taken away. But in the middle of all of that, Jesus promises to turn our grief into joy. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1 says there's an occasion for everything and a a time for every activity under heaven. And then verse 4 says, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, I think there's an important nuance that I don't want you to miss here in these verses. God does not take away our sorrow and then replace it with joy. Rather, God turns our sorrow into joy. And there's a difference. Let me say it again. God does not take away our sorrow and replace it with joy. Rather, God turns our sorrow into joy. Their sorrow would be directly connected to their coming joy. Your sorrow will be directly connected to your coming joy. They they go together. You can't separate them as Christians. If if you have faith, if your confidence is, is in God... These things are going to go hand in hand. The nation of Haiti has been a nation of tragedy for longer than anyone can remember. Just a little over a decade ago, there was a massive and devastating earthquake that struck just outside of Port-au-Prince, the capital city of the country. 250,000 people perished. Countless buildings in the city collapsed. The already shaky power grid was effectively destroyed with any other semblance of infrastructure in the region. That night, uh, with aftershocks rolling through the ground, the residents had to sleep outside who had survived. They were torn with grief and with fear. And an article in NPR summarized it this way, and I quote, For the Western Hemisphere's poorest country, The earthquake that hit Haiti in January was an especially cruel blow. Despite this, listen to this, it's hard to find a Haitian who doesn't profess a belief in a loving God. The Haitian people wept and they sang. When you've lost everything, in fact, you still have a song. We've seen similar things coming out of Ukraine in the past few days. People finding shelter in subway stations and underground. And yet believers singing with a song in their heart. And that article concluded with this. All over the hills of Haiti, those first terrible nights, under the starlit sky, the voices of the people of Haiti rose up in grief and lament, in prayer and in hope. I want you to know today that when Jesus promises to turn your grief into joy, that's what can come in your life. That you can Raise up your voice to God in grief and lament. But as you raise up your voice to God, you're also raising up your voice to God in prayer and in hope because you know joy is on the way. And here was Jesus telling his disciples that they would see him again. And when they saw him again, their hearts would rejoice. And then he gives an illustration that many, if not most of us, can identify with in verse 21. He says, when a woman is in labor... She has pain because her time has come. But when she's given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. Oh, she remembers, the mother does. But the pains of a woman in labor are sharp and severe. And while the distress is great, after that child is born, she develops sort of an amnesia. And doesn't remember the suffering at the level that it was. Why? Because there's a joy of a new life. That's why. Because there's something that's beyond words. It's it's beyond description. It's beyond the joy that we can even explain because now there's a new life. And Jesus says, you'll have sorrow now, verse 22, but I will see you again. And he said, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Can't be taken. We do not fully understand a time of separation or loss. And we cannot fully understand the joy that is coming in the restoration. But we know what Jesus has told us. And don't miss this. The dramatic turn in the disciples' grief was based on the fact that they would see the risen Christ because he was victorious. And in seeing the risen Christ, the disciples were transformed from fearful, defeated, confused men into bold witnesses for the gospel. Their lives were turned such that they were willing to give their own lives so that other people would know the same hope that they had experienced. And that kind of joy and that kind of hope is not just reserved for them. It's for us. And it's for us because God can turn our grief into joy because he's the God who brings beauty out of the ashes. And when he does it, he sets us free through the forgiveness of Jesus and he brings beauty out of the ashes of our lives. Your grief can be turned to joy If you will take hold of an eternal perspective. Is it not what we learned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? That we grieve, it's real, it's present. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because Jesus died and rose again. And after he was raised from the dead, you remember Jesus taught among his disciples about how the Messiah needed first to suffer and then enter into glory. Why did Jesus teach them in that way? He taught them in that way to give them an eternal perspective. He wanted them to have a framework in order to be able to endure suffering for the sake of the kingdom. So Jesus was emphatically saying to them, and Jesus emphatically says to us, this is not all there is. This is not the end of the story. We learned that in Job's life where he lost everything tragically in just a space of a few hours He lost everything that he had, but he was able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And God restored him in the end of the story. And I think that's a symbol of how God ultimately and eternally restores us in Christ. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Your grief that has turned to joy can also be helpful in comforting others in their grief. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 4 says he comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And most importantly, your joy cannot be taken away from you because God promises always to be with you. You might be in the valley of despair at the moment. The night might be as dark as it's ever been in your life. And your spiritual enemy wants you to believe that God's forgotten you. He's forsaken you. You just got to do the best you can. You're on your own. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is always with you he's promised never to leave you or forsake you in 2015 uh, nine people were killed during bible study at a church in charleston south carolina they experienced great evil and reverend goff spoke in the first sermon after the massacre and he said this we ask questions of the lord we ask why we cannot help it it's our human nature But through it all, those of us who know Jesus as we find ourselves engulfed in sadness and darkness and as we find ourselves walking through the valley of the shadow of death, for those of us who know Jesus, we can look through the windows of our faith and we see hope and we see light and we hear God's voice saying, I am with you. Maybe that's the main thing that you need to hear today. The voice of God from his word saying to you, I'm with you, joy is coming. Notice here in verse 23, Jesus said, in that day, speaking of what was to come, just ahead of them, you will not ask me anything. Now how could they go from saying a little while, what's he talking about? We don't understand what he's saying. What's the point? We're confused. We we thought something else was coming. and He's talking about a little while you won't see me, a little while you will see me. And Jesus says, there's coming a day and you're not going to ask me anything in that day. Because you're going to be so overcome with joy and relief at the resurrection that you will be speechless and you will not need to make any request of Jesus. And we have that same hopeful joy. Because Jesus promises to turn our grief into joy. Reality number three. Ask God for what you need now, and he will give it so that your joy will be complete. Verse 23, truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. Because of Jesus, we have this unlimited access to the throne of God. Because Jesus has made propitiation for our sins, Because he's given his life for us. He has shed his blood for us. We can be justified by grace through faith. God declares us righteous. And when God declares us righteous, what he does is he opens the invitation to us to come before the throne of God and to ask for what we need. And to receive grace and mercy. And Leon Morris said the meaning is that the atoning death of Jesus would revolutionize the whole situation. And on the basis of the Son's atoning work, men will approach God and know the answers to their prayers. Jesus said in verse 24, Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive so that your joy may be complete. So here's what he's doing he is teaching the nature of Christian prayer. That's what Jesus is doing in that moment. He's teaching the nature of Christian prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, he taught a similar principle. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And he's telling us that the foundational premise of Christian prayer is that we are asking based on our relationship with God in Christ. That's our standing. That's what gives us the ability to ask. So if a child ask his father for something that the father knows is not good for the child, the request is going to be denied. The child may not be happy that they don't get what they get wanted to get, uh, but they should trust the father. But when they get what they ask for, they know that it is for their good and for the glory of God. And Jesus says specifically, we are to ask in his name. We are to pray in his name on the basis of Jesus as our Savior. You remember, Jesus always prayed according to the will of the Father. And he said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we are to ask according to the instruction of Jesus, knowing that our joy may be made complete. Someone said it this way, Abiding fully in Christ is a life of exquisite and overflowing happiness. As Christ gets more complete possession of the soul, It enters into the joy of the Lord. His own joy, the joy of heaven, becomes its own, and that in full measure and as an ever-abiding portion. The invitation for us is to ask God for what we need now, and he will give it, and our joy will be complete. Now I want you to look at Psalm 30 and verse 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I want to repeat what I started with today. Your grief has an expiration date, it has an expiration date. This too shall pass. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. When the night is long and the grief is unrelenting, and you wonder if it's ever going to pass, God gives you a gentle and loving reminder, it will pass. God reminds you that grief will not have the last word. And the reason that grief will not have the last word is because Jesus Christ has the last word. Because he has conquered sin and death and hell, and the grave. And in him, we have victory, and we have hope, and we have joy. And we know that when that expiration date comes, we will have gotten through it. We will not have gotten over it, but we will have gotten through it with God's help. And he's the one that meets us at our point of need. And he's the one who sustains us. And he's the one who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He's the one who will safely see us home. He's the one who will sustain us every step of the way. But we need to trust in him. I want you, by way of review, and as I close, remind us of where we have come from in these four weeks together in our study on grief. First of all, we've noted that grief is part of the human experience in a sin-fallen world. But we can overcome it by the goodness of God. We've learned, second, that your view of the sovereignty of God will determine in large part how you process grief. God is good, He loves you, and He can be trusted. You don't have to qualify that, you don't have to filter it, you don't have to explain it, you can believe that God is sovereign and that he is good and that he loves you and that he can be trusted and that'll help you get through it. Third, knowing who God is and what he has done and what he has promised to do should fill us with hope. We're not just hoping something better is coming. We are hoping with expectation that something better is coming. And then last, God gives us the grace to trust that a day is coming when our grief will turn to joy and we will be with him forever. With a joy that is... Everlasting. And I remind you, all of these promises are based on a relationship with God. If you do not have that relationship with God in Christ, you cannot claim these promises. But if by faith you follow Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, as your Savior and Lord... They're yours for the taking. And God will bring you joy like you could only imagine. Let's bow our heads together for a moment. Here in just a moment, uh, Pastor Eric is going to come and lead us in a closing song. Perhaps today you would say, if you were honest, that you've never come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have the hope of all these promises. And I want you to know you can have it today in this moment. If you'd be willing to turn from your sins and turn to the Savior, He'll forgive you and give you the gift of eternal life. Maybe you're in the middle today of a very dark and difficult time of grief. You wonder, is it going to end? How am I going to get through it? Will I ever have joy again? It's going to end because your grief has an expiration date. You're going to get through it, and God's going to restore your joy. That's what Jesus said. So we take it on the authority of the written word and on the living word, our Savior. God loves you. He knows what you're dealing with. And he's going to help you. And God's people are going to help you. And that's so important. That's why we gather together. We're, we're here because we're living life in the midst of the sin-fallen world. And, and we need Christ and we need each other. That's how God designed us. That's what he saved us for. Maybe God's wanting you to be a blessing to somebody else to use your experience to help them. Would you be open to that? Would you ask the Lord to show you how you can encourage and be a blessing to somebody else? Lord Jesus, as we think about your teaching, uh, the words that you spoke to your disciples, we say thank you. That you gave us a glimpse, some insight into processing our own grief, dealing with our own questions, and you've told us to come before the throne and to ask and we'll receive. So I pray whatever our needs are today that we would ask you for them. But we do so as we ask in your name, knowing that uh, there's coming a time when we're not going to ask anything. Because it's going to be so evident when we, we are in your presence. and We tra- take great solace in that and comfort. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would find healing in you when we need it and that we would be your hands and feet to the people around us. God, we give this time of response and, and uh, conclusion over to you. and We pray, Lord, that you would work through it and draw us closer to yourself. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.